Wonderful to see you here this morning. I know the Lord is already somewhat changing this, this message this morning, but I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Before we start, I want to I pray for the Ukraine and the people in the Ukraine. Um, some of you on the group text saw the, the text I sent out. There's a, 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 someone sent me about a local pastor that has contact with the, uh, some church believers in the Ukraine, and they uh, are asking for prayer, and I want to pray for them. I know you're praying for them. Uh, they need Jesus. The Russians need Jesus. The Ukrainians need Jesus. But we're praying for the protection, the safety of the people, and for, for God to, to turn things around, God to put a hook in Putin's jaws and bring him back out of that country and, and protect the people. They've already, uh, people are trying to flee the country, and as they're fleeing, some are being turned back. Uh, they're staying and fighting for their homes, the people are, are and I'm just praying that in the midst of all this chaos and war, that Jesus would somehow make himself known, that those that are Christians would be able to use it as an opportunity to be bold in Christ and to, and to say we have the answer and to step forward and, and present the gospel to people there. But let's, let's pray for them before we get into the message this morning. Father, we lift up to you, first of all, the, the body of Christ in the Ukraine. We lift up those believers to you, Father. They have specifically asked Christians around the world and in this country and that includes us, God, for prayer. And we're praying for them. We're praying for your, your mercy. We're praying for your protection upon them and their families and properties in their lives, God. We're also praying, Lord Jesus, that you would take the wrong and make it right, that you would turn the Russians back out of there, that they would stop what they're doing, that you would cause it to cease, Lord God, and the war to cease, Lord, and the battles, that you would... Uh, somehow be glorified through this, God, that, that Jesus would be lifted up and people will call out to you in fear or however they are, God. They would call out to you, Lord, acknowledging their sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would use it for the glory of God and to bring many to your kingdom, both Russians and Macedonians, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, those in the Ukraine as well, Lord God, that you would turn them to you, Father. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. So if you're in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 5, let's start at the beginning of the chapter. Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this know ye, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6, real quickly. Galatians 6, 19. 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just going to preach straight up to you this morning. Uh, I don't know when's the the last time you heard, or I have heard, a sermon on sin, but this is going to be a sermon on sin. We're told both times at the end of these passages that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list of sins. This is not every sin known to mankind. We started in Ephesians, and we come here to Galatians, and it's pretty similar. The works of the flesh are manifest, and they are these. And and that list there is in Galatians. And it ends that passage at the end of verse 21, that they that do, he says, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven, okay? It's not that that a person can't have committed some of these sins because we have and and be forgiven. We can be. It's those that practice these things, those that live in their sin without breaking off their sins with righteousness, those that live in their sin and continue in their sin and have no uh, genuine godly sorrow that leads them to repentance, that leads them to Christ, and they continue to practice these sins. He says, I don't want you to be deceived. And I believe that in our generation, I don't think it's new to our generation, but I think it's increased in our generation, we have gradually or somehow left out a necessary truth from the Bible, and we have preached only a partial truth, a partial or shallow gospel or a half gospel or a message of Christ, and therefore we have perverted it by doing so. Perversion is a twisting. You take what's true, and it's all true and 100% true and perfect, and you twist it, twist it so much, some, somewhat, and it becomes something that's perverted or false. It has elements of truth. It has things of truth all in it. But the way it's been twisted and perverted, the whole thing is not true. It's a perversion. And that's what I believe has been done, not by everybody. When I preach like this, understand it's not, I never give a blanket condemnation and say this is every church, every pastor, every evangelist, every church member. I'm not saying that. There are wonderful men and women of God in this country, in this city, around the world that are seeking God with all their hearts and preaching the truth even when it's costly. Amen. There are. But as a whole, what has taken place in Christianity has become a perversion of the Bible and a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have shied away and failed to preach on sin and failed to preach on sin and its judgment and its judgments at the hands of a holy God who is just and holy. And I want to just mention this to you this morning, thinking about modern-day Christianity and, and what's taking place in the church so much, not all, but so much, we need to know that our God is just as holy as He is a God of love. He's just, he's just as every bit as holy as He is a God of love. He is every bit as much a God of justice and judgment as He is a God of mercy. He is just as much a God who is the righteous judge of all the earth 
who is going to always do right as he is a God of grace. And I'll let you know this, and I know that you know it, but he is all of those things. He is the God of justice and judgment and the righteous judge of all the earth. And he is the God of love and mercy and compassion and grace. And he's not some of those things some of the time. He is all of those things all of the time. And when we get off, it's when we have a misunderstanding of what judgment is or justice is or love is. We pervert love and think that someone that's loving can't also be a just judge. And he can be. And he is. He is both of those things. He is loving and just as loving God is love, we get our definition, agape love, is the Lord. It has this divine. It's from God. Okay? And he is just as much the God of love all the time as he is when he's judging sinners. He doesn't love any less. He doesn't love the sinners any less that he's judging. He's holy and he's just. And we need to understand that. It's a matter of how God deals with us. And I'll say this, we see it in the Bible, and I thank God that he's consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When a person turns to God and humbles themselves before the Lord, a sinner, which we all are, turn to God and humble ourselves and cry out to God for forgiveness, they will always find with this, this God that's holy and just, they will always receive from him mercy and forgiveness. Old Testament and New Testament, when we genuinely turn and turn to God and, and call out to the Lord, we're going to experience, what will, we, what will we know God as? We'll know him as a forgiver. We'll know him as merciful. We'll know him as gracious. And if somebody persists in their sin and continues to rebel against God and re reject the salvation that he's offered through Jesus Christ, though he loves them, they'll only know him in the end. They'll only know him as judge. And he was still the same God of love to both people. It's how, we, how he deals with us. And he deals with us consistently on how we believe in him, how we humble ourselves before God, how we call upon God. I want you to read a passage with me. And I wonder sometimes, even myself, when's the last time I preached on sin? When's the last time I preached this passage of Scripture? I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. Don't for a second think this, this sermon is going to be harsh and cruel any more than we are to think of God as being harsh and cruel. He's not. But he wants us to know the truth and not be deceived. Amen? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And just let this sink in a little bit, starting in verse 7. Now, he's writing to the believers in Thessalonica who were being persecuted and troubled and going through trials. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. This is the second coming, not the rapture. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. How's he coming? How's the Lord coming back to this earth? We will have already been with the Lord long uh, before this. But he says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them. Who does he take vengeance on? That know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished, this is these people, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, that's us and others, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. He's coming 
and flaming fire to take vengeance on his enemies. He's coming to take vengeance on those, number one, that don't know God and that don't obey the gospel. That's who he's taking vengeance on. Well, we've all sinned. People that are now saved once sinned, and we've sinned since we've been saved. But he's coming back to take vengeance, and there's a holy justice that God will uh, administer, and he'll do it in his love. Our God is the one true living God, and he is merciful. And I can tell you we're assured from the Bible. So rest at ease and be assured that our God would much rather much rather forgive men of their sins than to judge men for their sins. That's not a warm, sentimental thought. That's the truth from the Bible. He would much rather forgive men's sins than to punish them for their sins. David says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad? He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I want to read this. I have, if you're taking notes, it's from Ezekiel chapter 18. But just listen to this. The Lord is kind of having this conversation with Ezekiel that Ezekiel can prophesy to the people. He says, but if the wicked, if the wicked will turn, isn't that what it's all about? If the wicked will turn, if the wicked, isn't that what God's after? Didn't Jesus come to seek and save the lost? How are they going to be saved? They turn. They turn to Jesus. They, we turn from our sin. We turn from ourselves. And we trust in God. And we trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross. If the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes. I know this is Old Testament, but it's the same pattern. And do that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live and shall not die. All that all he hath done... I'm sorry, all his transgressions, that sins that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? Isn't that a wonderful passage? What brings God pleasure? He has no pleasure in judging sinful people. All of, all of his... Our days, all the lives of individual people that come and die, our life is like a vapor. It's here and then it's gone, James says. They, uh, Moses says in the Psalms, teach us to number our days. It's here and then it's gone. But all of that short-lived life on this earth, God is after you. He's after sinners. There's not one sinner he doesn't want to save. He is doing whatever he can that that sinner will come to him and be saved. He has no pleasure in the death. When they die outside of Christ, when one does die outside of Christ and will one day face him as judge, this is the second death we're told about at the end of the uh, millennium with the great white throne judgment. He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll go into everlasting torment and punishment in a lake of fire. He has no pleasure in that. He's not rejoicing in that. You could say he rejoices in his judgment and his justice and doing what's right. But he has no pleasure. He just, we just read it from Ezekiel. I have no pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord. He would rather that they return from their ways and live. That's what he wants. So don't paint a picture of God. He's just waiting. Can't wait till the... the the sinful person or the murderer or the rapist or the whatever, the atheist dies and he can just hammer them. He has no pleasure in that. 
He wants them to live. And to the last breath he gives them in this life, he is trying to turn them, to open their eyes that they may be turned. But they have a free will. Men have a free will. In his love, in his sovereignty, in his holiness, he gave men a free will. That is the will of God for men to have a free will. God sent forth his only son that men would would live through him. He died for our sins that we might live. He commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This great love wherewith he has loved us. But this glorious truth about God is love, that is true. That is absolutely true. God is love. That glorious truth about God that he's merciful to sinners, that he's compassionate to sinners, that he's forgiving of sinners when they turn, that, that doesn't somehow change God's attitude towards sin. This is where I think we get confused. We think he's like us, and he's not. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's not like us, okay? And so it does not, the fact that he's merciful and forgiving when people repent and turn to God and believe in Christ, that doesn't somehow change his holy wrath and anger towards sin. It's wages or death. The wages of sin is death. That's a New Testament scripture, by the way. In the day of grace, on this side of the cross, Jesus has came and, and died and rose again and sent the Holy Ghost to the earth. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. This eternal truth that he's gracious and merciful and, and forgiving doesn't negate his holiness. Doesn't cross it out and cancel it out. The fact that he forgives us when we turn to him sincerely and cry upon the Lord for mercy and he gives that mercy it doesn't change his righteous attitude and justice and judgment upon sin it does not you know where all that justice and judgment and wrath of sin was placed it was placed on Christ it was placed on Jesus it was meted out it was measured out the sins of the whole world was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ The fact that he's merciful to sinners and the fact that he reveals that mercy and love and forgiveness and grace to to undeserving men does not pervert his justice. Righteousness and truth are the foundations of his throne. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. He loves it. He's righteous and just and holy. You know what the Bible says? He's angry at the wicked every day. He's angry at the wicked every day. Paul says in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we, this is the believer, that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The Bible says in Jude that there are those who come into the church turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They've turned it. You know what they did with grace? They perverted it. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of churches and church worlds and ministries and books and magazines. and uh, every, they've, they've, We've taken, not everyone, 
but there are those that have taken the grace of God and twisted it into something it's not. Grace is not, I know that you've heard this, a license to sin. It is not. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is that nature of God that causes him to be merciful to undeserving sinners. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is, uh, I, I love this definition, it is, it is the, uh, the influence of God upon the heart of man. God's influence, the divine nature and its influence upon the heart of man. He's trying to, trying to turn men from sin. Don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God to sinful men. We can do it, right? We start reading. This is why some of these, uh, again, it's not a blanket condemnation. Some of these shows that come out in, in, in uh, TV shows or docudramas or or this, we have to be so careful that it shows about Jesus in his life. And they want to show the human side of Jesus and so forth. You know what we know about Jesus? We know from the Word of God. And we know from the Holy Ghost teaching us. I don't want Hollywood or someone else's opinion. Oh, I love to see his human side. I love to see his personal side. And so I watch this show. It really helps me relate to Jesus more. I can tell you what, if the Holy Ghost and the Bible can't help you relate to Jesus, then whatever we're relating to that we think we know from that docudrama or that TV show is going to be trouble, I'm telling you. Because don't we make the mistake, don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God to sinful men. There's a lot about the life of Jesus on this earth I don't know. But guess what? I think we know as much as God wants us to know. About his earth. What did he eat? What was his favorite food? You know, what, he, what kind of jokes did he laugh at? You know, give me a break. He's, he's a God on the, in the flesh. He came to be the Savior of the world. We know from the Bible what he wants us to know. Be careful of any of that added stuff. What well, helps me relate to the more human side of Jesus. I don't even know what that means. He was, he was 100% God. He was 100% man. But he had no, nothing of the seed of, of sinful man in him. He had nothing of Adam in him. So I can't relate to that part. You know, he can relate to me. He's acquainted with our grief and infirmities and so forth. But we, we, we push it way too far. And we get into things we shouldn't. I'm not afraid of every Christian book or everything like that. My point is, be careful. Don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God to sinful men. Don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God or His Son, Jesus Christ, to lenient parents. You know what I mean by lenient parent? We let them slide. We let our children slide. We let them slide. We let them slide. If you do this one more time, you're grounded. They do it one more time, they're not grounded. We let them slide. We let them slide. God's not like that. He is not like that. Don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God to a judge, an earthly judge, who can be bought off. He cannot be. He cannot be. He put all that judgment on his son. He's not going to be bought off by something you and I could do or change your heart at some point. Don't make the mistake of likening Almighty God to sinful men or society who, when it's convenient, they'll just overlook sin in another. He's my best linebacker 
I know he broke all the team rules, but the championship game's coming up Saturday. We're going to let it slide, and he's going to play. God's not like that. You understand my point. Don't make the mistake. He cannot be bought off. He cannot be bribed. He doesn't pervert justice and judgment. He's not a man that he should lie or, or anything like this. He, he, he did something infinitely, infinitely better. He does something infinitely better than ignoring our sin or permitting our sin or letting it slide or perverting justice. You know what he does? It's infinitely, infinitely better than any of those things. He forgives it. He blots it out. He removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. That's far better than a lenient parent who lets it slide. I'm going to deal with it. It's dealt with me in my, it dealt with in my son. Do you trust my son? Yes, I believe he paid the price for the sins of the world. I believe he's holy. He's God's only son. He died and rose again the third day. And I'm calling upon him to be my Savior and Lord. And the Lord says, with all of it's been put on him. Now you can go free. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. He's not lenient. He's not letting it slide. He forgives us. Amen? When I ask the question this morning, as, as believers in this day, we're all preachers of the gospel, even though if we're not all in a pulpit, we're all preachers of this gospel. Can, can we believe in and live and preach the truth of God the whole biblical truth of God, the whole counsel of God, without apologizing for it. Can we just preach it the way it was given to us, the way God gave it by inspiration, all Scripture? What do I mean by that? Do we feel it necessary in our modern-day Christianity, in a modern-day culture, to paint a different picture of Jesus, a softer picture of God, a softer picture of the Savior, a gentler picture to change the God of the Bible somehow to make him more acceptable to men. Do we feel it necessary to soften him and fail to report the whole truth and only report the parts of the truth of the Bible we want to? Do we fail to report the, his fierce wrath against sin? That he is a just judge and he's not going to be mocked. Do we fail to report that. The Bible says in, in Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For what a man soweth, that also shall he reap. For if he soweth to the flesh, he'll reap of the flesh corruption. But if he soweth to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. It's going to be just how he said it's going to be. Why do I feel it necessary to change what he says? We need to be careful. And I'll just ask this. When, when people feel it necessary in today's uh, age of tolerance and acceptance, there, men, men in today's age are as, darker and sinful, as dark and sinful as they've ever been before or more. And the only thing they're not tolerant of is the truth. They're not tolerant of the truth. They're not tolerant of the God of all truth, the way the truth and the life being Jesus Christ. 
but I'll ask this. Why do we feel the need to change the God of the Bible and paint, when we preach him, paint a different picture, just one like a warm Easter bunny that everybody could accept? I would just ask my question as I was, the Lord was giving me this message this week. Is he not wonderful enough? I mean, isn't God, the God of the Bible, not awesome enough and wonderful enough that I feel I have to change him and make him something else? Is he not loving enough? Has he not been loving enough to you? Is he not beautiful enough? Is he not gracious enough to sinful men just as he is? Has he not displayed his love enough through the ages? Has he not displayed the love of all loves to wicked men when he offered up Jesus? Is he not wonderful enough as he is? Can we feel we have to make him softer and different? We feel we have to present some superhero Jesus like from a comic book strip that can't offend anybody. Soft and tolerant, unjudgmental, who will never call out sin. That's the Jesus that we want to present because that's more likable to people. But it won't save anybody. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not representative of him who is love, who came to die for the sins of the world. Somewhere along the way, we preachers of the gospel and the people of God have, have changed what, what is to be preached and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. We failed to preach the whole counsel of God, the God of the Scriptures, the God who perfectly and righteously judges sin. And I'm very thankful that He perfectly and righteously judges sins. He's not going to condemn anyone for anything they didn't do. He's not going to let somebody slide into heaven that shouldn't be there. The Lord knoweth them that are his, he says in, in 2 Timothy, I believe. The Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows. And it's all those that have trusted in God, all those that have trusted in Jesus in this New Testament age in which we're living. Just listen to this for just a moment. I'm talking about us as believers the Jesus that we preach, the Jesus that we tell our friends about, that we tell strangers about, that we tell the people at work about. Just listen to this. Jesus, the Lord said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made thee, made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. God says, I want, now this is Israel, but Ezekiel, I want to give you to give the children of Israel warning from me. So liken it to the church. We're not Israel, but liken it to the church. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Pretty serious, huh? He's telling Ezekiel, look, you t you, you, I tell you to warn the wicked, and you go out, and you warn them, and they, they die in their sin, that's on them. But if, you, if I tell you to warn them to turn from their wicked ways that they're going to die in their sin, and, and you don't warn them, that's on you. They'll die in their sins. They'll be judged for their sin. But I'm holding you accountable for not telling them 
I believe there's a lot of pastors and ministers, and probably, I pray not, but maybe some point in my life when I didn't paint the right picture of Jesus. God forgive me if I have ever done that. We have that responsibility. We have that calling to preach Christ to sinners, whether they repent or not. Preach Him as coming judge and, and the righteous judge of all the earth. Now, I don't know where, what day in history it started where the church felt it necessary to present a softer, gentler Jesus Christ and Savior and God of heaven. Maybe it's simply out of convenience. Maybe it's people were just brought up, their pastor taught it this way and their pastor taught it this way. But I think, to be honest with you, the real reason that people feel the need and to paint a different Jesus is they're afraid of men. They're afraid of men. They're afraid of offending men. They love the praise of men. They love the friendship of this world. This world that put Jesus on the cross and, and denies the Lord. People in the church and ministers of the gospel and just everyday Christians would rather have the praise and friendship of this world more than the love of the one who died for the world. But we're called by the Lord. <clears throat> not, we're not ca called and commissioned by this lost world. We're given a great commission. The Lord called us to that, to go into the world and preach this gospel. The world didn't call us to that. So preach the gospel, amen? Preach what he's called you to do. We're called by Almighty God. The Bible says, know you not, you adulterers and adulteresses, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever will be a friend with the world is the enemy of God. And I think the church has tried to make friends with the world, not through the blood of Jesus, but through changing the gospel and presenting a different Jesus. The Bible says we're reconciled to God by the blood of the cross. That's the only way a man's reconciled to God. But how is it that Christians, maybe they're really saved, maybe they're not. I can't judge all that. How is it that Christians can be reconciled to lost men who don't know the Lord without the blood of Jesus? They had to compromise. They had to present a different Jesus. How can you have ECT, evangel evangelicals and Catholics, together? Number one and number two, these big agendas and programs and, and uh, documental statements that are written now. We have more in common than we have uh, differences. We have more that bind us than things that, that divide us. And all the, How is it possible? You have to compromise in the way to do that. That's the only way it's possible. But the Lord can take Jews and Gentiles and, and, and rich people and poor people and people from different nations and ignorant people and smart people and educated people and old people and young people and male and female. He can take them all and make them one in the, the blood of Jesus in the body of Christ. Isn't that way better? Isn't that far better if people are really saved? And so we need to live this life. We need to proclaim this life. It's rare to hear a message on sin in our day. It's rare to find a Christian who doesn't feel the need to apologize for God's judging sin and judging sinful men or to omit it altogether, to minimize it, or to explain it away. Now, I know this. I will say this. There, we all probably can think of examples of men in a pulpit or out in public that they were harsh and cruel 
and they preached the gospel without love, and there is for no hope, and they were condemning just in themselves and in their mannerisms and in their words, and they didn't, they didn't have a genuine love for sinners, and they had no genuine desire or love or longing for the sinner to be saved. Well, that's wrong, okay? There's examples of that. People that are just harsh and just bash people over the head with no hope and no love and don't care at all if they're saved. That's not what we're called to do. But that, those bad apples, if you want to call that, or bad examples are no reason, no excuse for us as men and women of God not to preach the truth and to live it. They're going to be perversions on every hand. There's going to be perversions on this side. There's going to be perversions on that side. That's not an excuse for us not to preach the truth. Right down the middle. Amen? Right as the Holy Ghost gives it. Right as the, the, the Bible is inspired and we're given the scriptures to preach it like that. Amen? And so that's not a reason. The fact that there are people that have misused or abused people or, or been harsh or cruel in their preaching with no love for sinners that's not a reason for me not to preach it. We need to preach the truth in love. Amen. We need to warn men of God's wrath to come on unrepentant sinners. How do we do it? We do it by the word of God. We do it by the Holy Spirit in us. We trust. Every time we open our mouths to share with our co-worker at church or neighbor or aunt or uncle the gospel, we trust and ask and the God by His Spirit to take those words of that gospel and let it fall on good soil. And take the words of that gospel and by the Holy Spirit, God, only you can convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. But you can do it. That's how you're sitting here saved today. He convicted you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Sin in our own hearts, the righteousness of a holy God, and our, our righteousness is filthy rags, and the judgment of God to come. He showed us. We might not have laid it out in a doctrinal statement the day we got saved, but we knew we were accountable to this God who's holy, and that Jesus paid for our sins. The Holy Ghost showed us that through the Word of God and through the Gospel. We need to trust Him. I'm going to bring this to a close. It is upon us, it is our calling, it is part of our pleasure and duty to warn men of the wrath of God to come. Warn men of the wrath of God to come. John the Baptist, when he saw the unbelieving Pharisees and scribes coming to the Jordan River, where he was baptizing people in preparation to meet Jesus, he said, who hath warned you to, you generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee the wrath to come? He was warning men. He told them, bring forth fruit, therefore meet for repentance. Jesus said, this is an interesting account, if you have time to read it sometime in Luke 13, the beginning of that chapter. There were some that came to Jesus and were telling him about Pilate, how he would, no, Herod, I'm sorry. No, I think Pilate. How Pilate had mingled some of the blood of men with in his sacrifices to his false idols. In other words, he had killed people, mingled their blood in his sacrifices to the idols that he worshipped. And Jesus said, you think that those people that suffered that 
were sinners above all sinners? Are those 18 people upon whom that tower in Siloam fell and it crushed 18 people and killed them? You think they were worse sinners than everybody else? He says, no, I tell you the truth, but unless you repent, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He says it twice in the first three verses. What is he saying? We're all going to perish if we don't repent. What did Jesus do? He's telling people that. He's warning people about that. John the Baptist warned the Pharisees and the people at his preaching through his word. Jesus warned people. The Bible says that by nature we were before we got saved in Ephesians chapter 2, the children of wrath. So that means people today that are not saved are the children of wrath, right? And I just, I've always pictured in my mind this way, a child of wrath. What does that mean? It means that I'm one breath between living on this earth and facing eternal judgment. Because the wrath of God is abiding upon me. And the only reason I'm not in hell and in torment right now, eternally separated from God, is because God has been merciful for one more breath. One more second. The wrath of God is abiding on me. I'm a child of wrath by nature. People need to be warned about that. They think they can just go on and on and on and on. A teenager thinks they can go on and on and on. And when I get old and gray-headed and get married and have 2.1 kids or whatever, I'll settle down and I'll get serious about God. And I'm having too much fun now. No, you don't have that time. And if he gives you that much time, it's only the grace of God. And if your thought process is that now, you're in trouble. Because now is the time of salvation. We're by nature the children of wrath, and we need to tell people that. Our sin, I'm closing with this, our sin was paid for in Jesus. This is what I'm saying, the sins of the whole world. He's the Savior of the world, the Bible says, especially to them that believe. He's the Savior of the whole world. He paid the price for the sins of the whole world. There's no other Savior of the world besides Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. But the only way you can benefit from that and Him be your Savior savior from sin is to repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to tell people that. God took and placed the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's paid for in Jesus. Paid for in Jesus. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen? That's what the Bible tells us. And we're gonna, uh, every man on this planet, every woman, man, child, on this planet is going to die one of two ways. I'm not talking about car wreck or drowning or old age or something like that. Every man or woman is going to die one of two ways. We're going to die in Christ or outside of Christ. We die in Christ, then our sin which was paid for in Jesus, I can eternally be a beneficiary of that. I can eternally reap the benefits of that and be safe and saved and secure. Jesus took my sin on the cross. We're justified by faith, right? We put our trust in that's how I would live and that's how I would die in Christ. Eternally, my sin is separated from me. Or a man's going to die outside of Christ. They will die in unbelief, and they will bear, though Jesus paid for their sins, they're not forgiven of their sins because they never trusted in Christ. They will die outside of Christ. They will die in their sins. They themselves will bear the righteous, holy judgment and wrath and anger of sin 
that their own life incurred here, and they didn't have to. We need to warn men. We need to tell people. Amen. Them, he's coming in flaming fire and vengeance to take vengeance on them that knew not God and obeyed not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great God, I'm reading this from Proverbs, the great God that formeth all, formed all things, both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. He's going to reward transgressors. He's going to reward them with the, the, the fruit of their lives. Amen. It's wages or death. Amen. So I'm going to this. D, you can come. I didn't read this. The altars are open. I'm going to read this passage, but I'm going to say this just about our altar and about your life here today. You say, well, I'm saved. I'm clean saved. All my sins forgiven. And I say, hallelujah. Mine is too. But if, if we have failed to warn men of sin and just preached or taught or shared with them the parts of the gospel that we think they would be more likely to embrace. That's a sin on our part. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. People need to be warned. They need to know the truth. Is it the only thing you preach on every second? No. But it has to be part of the whole healthy, whole counsel of God. You can get out of balance any direction, and we don't want to get out of balance, but we need to warn men of the wrath to come and not ignore it. I want to read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 very quickly. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Doesn't it sound like the first two passages we open with? From Ephesians and from Galatians. Here we're in 1 Corinthians. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God, period. I'm saying period because there's a period right there. They're not going to inhabit, I mean, inherit the kingdom of God. But then there's another sentence after this, which makes me say, hallelujah, this is the gospel. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified. He's not lenient. He didn't let it slide. He cleansed us. He forgave us. He died for us. He paid for our sins. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of, Je of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen? Warn men, but tell them that. Give them that hope. Paul said, you that are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with his angels. We'll be in heaven by that time, but we need to warn men of the wrath of God, that he's loving and a God of love. He is love, and he's also holy and just. He's not playing. If he was playing, Jesus wouldn't have agonized and died on the cross. He's not a game. The wages of sin is death. Amen? The altars are open. If we have been, uh, maybe we need to ask God to forgive us for Thinking wrongly about God, maybe we need to ask God to forgive us for displaying to other men not a complete picture of God, the right picture of God. Maybe we just need to ask for boldness in this day to stand and preach the gospel. But the altars are open. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, I thank you, Lord God, that you are just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus, Lord, that our sins are forgiven. 
that we have been reconciled to God through the blood of your cross. What greater love, what greater mercy, what greater compassion shown to sinful, undeserving men than the cross? What greater love could be displayed? You commended your love to us specifically and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Help us not to be afraid to preach against sin and to warn men of your holy judgment upon sin, upon their lives, if they don't repent and give their lives to Jesus, God. Help us in this day, God. Turn sinners to you, God. Turn sinners to you, God. You have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, none. It brings you no joy. Your pleasure comes when men repent. They become forgiven and part of your family and they're saved and they're in Christ and their life glorifies God. And they're washed in the blood of Jesus and made holy. That brings you pleasure. I'm glad that that brings you pleasure. I'm glad that's the God that I serve and the God of this Bible. We love you this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.